I'm AC Brown, and you're listening to Is My Aura On Straight, a podcast designed to help you start living from your core instead of your conditioning. Each week, we'll have deep conversations that will help you create a powerful transformation that shifts your perspective in life, love, and business, with topics ranging from spiritual self-development, human design, astrology, metaphysics, and everything in between. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of Is My Aura On Straight? I am your host, AC Brown. I am your psychic channel, voice of truth, spiritual guide, and teacher. And I want to thank you so much for joining me for another episode of Is My Aura On Straight? And today is an amazing day. We have Mary Firestone here, and she is the author of the brand new book, Trusting the Dawn, How to Choose Freedom and Joy After Trauma. And as you all know, I am super trauma-informed, and I incorporate trauma work into my work. And I read not the whole book, but I read enough to be like, oh, okay, this is really amazing. So welcome, Mary. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. So today, as we're recording this, today is the book's birthday. So yay. Well, first, how are you feeling now that you are done? Well, it's such a process of being done. I feel like there's so many, you know, oh, I'm done. Oh, I'm done. (laughs) Oh, I'm done. But now I guess I really am done. You know, it's out there. And then there's this whole other part of, you know, doing, getting to connect with people like you and, and then getting the word out and connecting, you know, doing speaking engagements. And really, you know, I think what drives me and has always driven me with the book and with the retreats that my sister and I lead is this desire to connect with other people and to connect more fully to ourselves and help other people connect more fully to themselves and how amazing life is. That's awesome. And how was the book writing process for you? Meaning, because you're talking about something really heavy. So of course you put the proposal together or however that worked, got the book deal. And then now it's time to write a whole book about trauma. What was that experience like? And how long, I'm just curious, how long did it take you to write this? I think it took me about two years, really. Wow. And that maybe even includes the proposal time, but because I I did a lot of research. So I interviewed all different kinds of trauma survivors so that readers could find themselves in the stories. And then the second half of the book is all different healing modalities that I tried myself, what they are, how, what my experience was, who they would be right for, wrong for. So, yeah, I know the irony is, I mean, trauma, of course, (laughs) there's a heaviness and a sadness. And then also there was so much inspiration Mm. from, from interviewing the different survivors I interviewed and how, you know, really seeing this idea of resilience and how through going through a, a trauma and healing it, we can become more multifaceted, more dynamic, more connected. So it was actually really inspiring and fascinating. It's kind of like once you discover 
one part, you know, I'm like, okay, we healed intellectually. Then there's this whole other layer. Right. There's so many layers. So many layers. (laughs) There's so uh, many layers. I did an episode called Healing is Hard earlier this year. And I broke down on the podcast because I was like, I did not know if I was going to make it. There were points in that. And through your interviewing trauma survivors and people who are dealing with their trauma, what were some of the common themes that you noticed that people were dealing with on the journey? Yeah, I think there is a common theme of feeling alone and that no one else can relate to what it is we're going through. Anger, why did this happen to me? And then through integration and initiation. So this in so many different cultures and different modalities from like the shamanism to like a Jungian psychiatrist saying, well, you've been initiated. Well, initiated to what? Right. Right. Um, And that also was interesting too, because it's like you're initiated to so much of us. We go around living our lives and doing our thing, getting caught up in the minutia of life. And we're kind of missing the point. I feel like sometimes. sometimes it takes that pushing us to the brink of how fragile we are and how fragile life is to realize, oh my gosh, I've just been like living up here and going through like a little hamster wheel rather than really living and being here. Yes. And I find that fascinating that you say that because through my journey, I almost feel like, especially coming out of it, um, and I was having a conversation with the class that I teach, it's almost like there is a developmental delay mm. that you have when you are living with your trauma and not addressing it. Mm-hmm. And then when you start dealing with it and all of that, there's a huge like kind of awakening where you are, I almost feel like I lost 10 years of my life and I just figured that out. Wow. Yeah. And in part of your book in the reframe and why now chapter, you go through kind of reframing. And what I did love about this book is like you said, there were some really great tips for different things. It wasn't just like, this is going to work. Mm -hmm. It was, here's a bunch of options and you can try it. But one of the things that really stuck out to me when I was reading the book was in that chapter of the reframe and why now? And you were talking about, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing the person's name right, um, the Harvard trained um, psychiatrist. Srini Pillay. Srini, yes, <laughs> Pillay. Srini Pillay. And it was to speak in third person. And that was like, yes, yes, yes. Can you talk a little bit about why that is so effective when we are? dealing with our trauma? Yeah. So Dr. Srini Poulet, he discovered that when we speak in the third person to ourselves, we bypass a certain part of the brain that gets us caught in like the loops and the doubt. So when we speak in the third person, it kind of just goes right around and gets right into our subconscious. So instead of, you know, like, okay, I'm going to rock this. It's like, Mary, you're going to rock this. Mary, you got this, you know? So um, language, like how we speak to ourselves, our internal dialogue. And I go into it a little bit too. And like the rewriting our story, 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to get to that next. Oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, you're good. <laughs> With that being said, the rewriting your story, how do you do that in a way that, because what I know from my own trauma healing there, you, you're literally saying goodbye or breaking up, if you want to say, or grieving that old part of yourself. Mm-hmm. So when you're rewriting your story, How do you do it in a way that it can become believable? That's a really good question. And I think, you know, there's so many things I want to say about that. So the first thing is it does take time. So be patient with yourself. Don't expect it's going to, you know, all of a sudden, poof, it's going to be gone. Um, Again, that goes back to the integration piece. I think there's so much about like, how do I get this out of me? Or how do I, you know, that feeling. And what I kept coming up against with all these different modalities was how can I integrate this? How does this become part of my story? That the goal, I think, for me has been like, how is it not triggering? But it's just part of the story. And ways that I got there was um, EMDR was incredibly helpful because it kind of reconfigures parts of the brain. So the, when we get stuck in that trauma loop of the story and I almost died and I almost died and oh my God, oh my God. Um, so it breaks the loop in the brain mm-hmm. and creates new neural pathways. So that was a really powerful tool for me. And you can do that with a trained therapist. I also am someone who grew up in the eighties with like the just say no to drugs, Nancy Reagan, and was such a (laughs) goody two shoes my whole life in that arena. And in the healing from this trauma, I did ketamine therapy, which is with a psychiatrist, which is a legal psychedelic. Mm. And that too is the same kind of thing of rewiring the brain. So you kind of shut down that, uh, the frontal, I go into scientific detail. Yeah. In the book. Yes. That's down the part of the brain that is full of doubt and worry and allows for different parts of the brain to talk that normally don't get to talk. So it's Mm. literally rewiring pathways in the brain. Meditation does that too. So I think, you know, doing the, using these different modalities, whatever feels right for you to kind of get under that rational intellectual thinking part allows for the rewriting of the story to feel believable in our Mm -hmm. minds and our bodies. And sometimes it's a little bit like faking it till we make it a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. No, that makes sense. On your healing journey, I'm curious to know, because what I I like to say, when you're healing, so many things change and the things that change are very surprising. What was something that changed during your healing journey that you didn't expect as far as like, maybe it was a relationship that fell apart or the way you, your circle, all of that stuff. Like what was some of the things that changed that just were unexpected? towards the end of the book, I write about relationships in the wake of trauma. And I think you really 
following a trauma, it becomes very clear who your people are, you know, who. Woohoo. Yes, <laughs> yes, <like>, yes. <laughs> oh, yes. Up from like, I'm getting goosebumps from like strangers. You know, I had all these um, people I didn't even know in Santa Barbara bringing me like their pregnancy pants because I was pregnant during the mudslide and, you know, we lost everything. So, you know, the way strangers showed up, the way families showed up, the way good friends showed up. And then some people just couldn't deal and, and fell away. So I think too, after trauma and recognizing, again, the fragility of life, it really made me think, who and how do I want to spend my time that I have mm. here? So one thing that happened for me, I wound up getting divorced from my partner. I, you know, Napper and I have been together for 20 years and I was pregnant with our daughter India at the time of the mudslide. And I think after there was like a coming together just to kind of survive. And then when I started going into my healing we just healed in such different ways mm. that a separation and then, and now we're divorced and we're good friends and co-parents, but that was like the only thing that seemed possible. I love Mark Nepo, the spiritual teacher. Mm -hmm. He said, if you picture a couple in a body of water mm. and sometimes a boulder gets dropped on the side of you and propels you in the same direction, and then sometimes it gets dropped between you and you're mm. held in different directions. And that's been really helpful to me, um, you know, in the trauma of divorce, frankly. Yeah. I mean, relationships in general have trauma, so much trauma. I remember my, my therapist in one of our sessions said to me, she's like, what do you want to heal in your next relationship? And I was just like, what? I was like, excuse me. I was like, that's what I'm here to do. I'm here to heal. And yeah. she, she's like, so you think you're going to heal everything and then get into a relationship? I was like, yeah, that's the plan. And she like busted out laughing and she was like, I'm sorry, that was not professional, but she was like, that's not how it works. Mm -hmm. And I was just so like mind blown because I really, at that point in my healing journey, I was like, yep, I'm doing the work. I'm digging deep. I'm doing all of this stuff. And now I'm ready for a relationship because I will be fixed. And she was just like, no, that's not how it happens. And so when you talk about trauma and that journey, what advice can you tell people, especially because you've, I mean, you really went deep with all of the things that you can do to kind of fix your trauma and to go on that journey what advice can you give people to prepare them for it? Gosh, I mean, <laughs> it's sort of like having a baby. I feel like you can be told, right? Okay, this is what you're going to expect, this, that, the other. It's going to be like this. And until you have that baby, you, you know, there's, I don't know if there's anything to absolutely prepare someone for it other than to say like just know like if I can do it if all these different people in the book can do it you can do it too there's a woman to thy interview in the book Dr. Edith Eager she's a holocaust survivor she um, was in Auschwitz and she's now in her 
80s or 90s, and she's had a thriving psychology practice in La Jolla for decades now. She's written two books called The Choice and The Gift. And she says, you know, she has clients come and say, well, my trauma is not that bad because, you know, I didn't survive Auschwitz. And she says, there's no hierarchy of trauma. Mm -hmm. Everyone's trauma is the worst because it happened to them. Yeah. And I love too, she talks about the reframe too, or the, the choice that we're all going to be victimized in life. That's just part of the human experience, but we have the choice to remain in a victim mentality or to integrate and thrive and, you know, move on more dynamically with our lives. So I would say it's just like, you know, people like that and stories of hope and um, knowing that there's so many tools Mm-hmm. and resources available now um and being able to ask for help and yeah, that's hard that's oh, trauma it's in itself <laughs> I know. that's trauma in itself asking for help you brought up something which a book that I love by Brian Weiss um many lives many masters um as a tool for past life regression using that like to work in your trauma can you expand on that because I have this one trauma that has just been following me for many, many lives. And I I know this lifetime is the one that I I fix it. What are your thoughts about that using the past life regression to help you with your trauma and to look for a practitioner who's skilled in that? What do you think kind of helps you pull those past lives into fixing or just, you know, the journey, that part of the journey? So I too love Brian Weiss and I read that book, you know, stayed up all night when I was like 13, reading it cover to cover and was fascinated with the idea of past lives. He's no longer practicing, but the woman I worked with for my past life regression, Nikki Cosmo, she's amazing. She's based in Malibu and she does stuff over Zoom. But what I would say is that because I believe like what we were talking about, that there's so many different layers to the healing. Mm -hmm. So like there's the intellectual rational, and then there's the emotional, then there's the subconscious and healing on all those layers and doing, working in different modalities, I started to notice themes. Mm -hmm. So I wonder, AC, if you like, you know, in the past life regression, I had like a very clear past life of being a knight I thought I was a man, but then I looked down and I saw like I had a long braid. I was a woman. I was not Joan of Arc. I know everyone's like, I was Joan of Arc. (laughs) (laughs) But I was a female knight and I was killed in battle. And I know I was like battling for something good and important. It felt like in that lifetime. So I had that experience. And then I did um, breath work, holotropic breath work, which I highly recommend and had very clear understanding that I had been like a healer or a witch that had been murdered or killed for healing and doing this work. Mm. So there were, and then there was a third one too. It just kept coming in different ways of being in past lives, having been killed for doing this work and that recognizing this time. Oh, this is so cool. So in the past life regression, I had a clear uh, voice come through that said in this lifetime, your sword is the pen. I mean, it's kind of cliche, but you mm-hmm. know, the way that I can heal is by writing and sharing this time. 
Right. And I'm not going to get killed for it this time. Right. This time it's a friend of mine. Um, she did a past life regression and she has an autoimmune disease. And, um, at the time she was married and during this past life regression, she had a, it was a scene that involved her husband Mm -hmm. and he was the one causing her illness. Mm -hmm. And she was just like, oh my, like, what do I do? What do I do? Kind of thing. And um, I mean, unfortunately they did, you know, get divorced, but it's past life regression is just so my, yeah, my theme is the same. It's the same situation. It's the same thing. And I'm just like, like, but I'm, 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 I'm working on it. I'm, I'm doing it. I'm, I'm living in it. So it, it has helped um, for sure. And I love that. Another thing that I really enjoyed about the book is your kind of using nature to heal trauma. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that is not the go-to, not because we don't want to, but because that's just not on our minds. So how can we incorporate nature, especially you talk about essences and essential oils. What are some like simple things that people can just like go in their kitchen or and just or in their space or in their neighborhoods to try and use that to integrate into healing? Yeah, so I love nature. It was ironic because, you know, this trauma was caused by a natural disaster. And I remember someone sent me like a mud mask after, you know. <laughs> right <laughs> after? Oh, no. Wait, <laughs> <laughs> use that. Um, but I love essential oils. I've worked with them for years. My sister and I have an essential oil-based perfume. So we've studied and worked with essential oils for years. And there's different um, oils that can be like sandalwood is very grounding, rose geranium soothes fear, uh, juniper is detoxifying. So there's different essential oils that you can play with to, to kind of bring yourself back into your center mm. and ground. Because I think often what happens when we're in, a, in PTSD we get stuck in that fight or flight, which kind of means that we're like, I kind of picture it like we're not in our bodies. Mm. So what can bring us back into our bodies and rooted and grounded here? So those are some oils I would recommend for that. And flower essences too are really powerful. They're, com- they're different than essential oils. You can ingest them. Yeah, you can put them on your tongue. Yeah, I know that. What is it? The what's the name? They always sell it like in Whole Foods and like from New York. Yeah, the Bach. Yeah, Yeah. I used to always when I was at NYU, I used to always like go to this um, whole like health food store, and they would have a big rack of the Bach, and I would just go every every like day. I'm like, oh, let me see which one I'm gonna get now. (laughs) Use those. And I think that's a great way too to kind of like see what you're guided towards and see what calls to you. Pine, I know off the top of my head is one that can be really good after, I think Aspen and Pine are both really good for after trauma. And there's a great, I love, I interviewed this cool woman named Katie Hess who founded a company called Lotus Way. Oh, yes, 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 yes. I'm very familiar. Okay, yes. So they actually have three blends that are specific for trauma. Um, They all, I think, have spotted bee balm in them. Mm, um, 
she breaks it down really well on her website. Um, and actually, ironically, so the night of the mudslide, I was trapped on my bathroom counter for five hours. And um, I had a little bottle of her inner peace mm. uh, flower essence on the counter with me. So I was like doing all my practices, trapped, thinking I was going to die. But I'm like, okay. We're going to breathe. We're going to put our inner peace on. So I told Katie that, that that really helped kind of. Yes. I, me calm. I, yeah. They, um, I believe she has like the elixirs and stuff and things yeah. like that. Yes. I remember, I remember that brand from in the beginning stages. So yeah, I love That's so cool. So out of all of the therapies that you, I know you mentioned EMDR, but what are your favorite ones that you've experienced because you have a lot in the book. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think too, like EMDR was the first thing for me. I was having, you know, perpetual nightmares and anxiety. And also just to add insult to injury, I was covered in like a raging poison oak because there was Mm. poison oak all in the mud and I'd been, you know, covered in mud. So if the nightmares weren't waking me up, then the poison oak was waking me up. And EMDR was the first thing that for me, and I understand that my experience, you know, it might not be be true for everybody, but that night I didn't have a nightmare for the first time. So that was really profound for me. I also think I did um, cranial sacral therapy. Mm-hmm which was so lovely. That was a a bit at the beginning too. And just to lie there and receive and, you know, get a little light massage and like, oh, like reset. So how did cranial therapy, because now I'm like curious, how does that, what's happening during that? So you lay, um, the way that I did it with this great woman named Sarah Rebstock is she does kind of a a light body massage and she's very intuitive too. And so she's kind of like feeling where your body staying a little bit more here, a little bit less here. And then it ends with you kind of face up and she's cradling your um, head in her hands and kind of resetting parts of the skull and kind of calming down different um, different parts of the brain. Again, this, I love this idea too. See, it's so many different channels of creating more, um, accessibility in the brain and between different parts of the brain to get us out of that like loop. Right. And that was nice too, for, as you said, like asking for help is so hard and sometimes talking about it is hard. So to just be able to lie there and receive, was really powerful and healing and calming. So I love that one. And then I loved the ketamine therapy. I really would recommend that for going, like really getting in there and seeing things. One of the benefits of ketamine is it sort of depersonalizes the mm-hmm. experience. So it removes you, your emotions kind of out of it. Is that what you mean? Yeah. I mean, again, it's like a psychedelic. So I like to put it into these terms. It's, I had an experience getting molested at the age of seven. And in one of my sessions, it's like, I was watching the scene happen, but without emotion. 
Mm. And then this like gorilla came out of the darkness and oh, first, was like, am I scared of the gorilla? But I'm like, no, 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 the gorilla is good. And the gorilla like scooped little seven-year-old Mary away from mm. that man and put her on the back of like a Pegasus. <laughs> and when I was talking to Jeff Becker, my psychiatrist afterwards, he's like, yeah, that's your fierce gorilla warrior self was showing up mm. and care of that seven-year-old little girl. So I, and after having that journey, that experience at seven that I've been like dragging around with me for decades was somewhat neutralized. So I, I really, I think there's great power in that kind of work again, done with a psychiatrist in a proper setting. I think there's all these like ketamine bars mm-hmm. showing up. I wouldn't definitely not recommend that. Yeah. Right. Don't go to your local ketamine. Neighbor. No, because yeah. what makes it so healing is having a trained professional to guide you in and then help you integrate afterwards. It's right. a process. It's not just about the ketamine. And what are some ways that, because all of these things that you have in the book are great, but what are some ways that people who don't necessarily have access to this can start doing? Because, you know, as a black woman and, you know, being a part of the black community, a lot of black and brown individuals and indigenous people don't have access to some of these really amazing tools, but where is somewhere that they can start, that we can start when on a basic level that is not ketamine therapy. I know, I know some friends who are doing like microdosing and stuff like that um, yeah. with, with practitioners um, and helping them with therapy. What are, but what are some other ways? Yeah, that's a great question. So for um, the EMDR, if, if someone doesn't have access to a therapist um, or someone who does it, you can do tapping. It's called butterfly tapping. Okay. Um, there's a great book. I think it's called tapping in by Laurel Parnell and she kind of walks you through it, but it's just that bilateral stimulation. So stimulating, you know, one side, then the other, you can tap on your legs, you can scrunch your feet right and left. Um, and she walks, walks you through. And I also have some short, you know, guidance. Yes. You have some exercises that are really, really fabulous in the book. Really, really great. That's a good thing to do. I also think um, there's a whole, I write about shaking therapy. Mm-hmm. So when we shake, if we look at animals in nature, Dr. Peter Levine talks about it a lot. Um, after, you know, a gazelle is almost eaten by a tiger or a lion, sorry, lion, let me get my <laughs> One of the animals, right? Yeah, a big <laughs> One of them. Um, (laughs) when the gazelle escapes and is safe, the gazelle literally shakes its body. So it's like releasing Mm. the cortisol. We don't do that as humans. We sure don't. I need to shake after every single trigger. (laughs) And that's a great thing to do. Literally. I do do that. I will stand up and like shake your body, shake your body, shake your body. And so you can dance, you can shake, you can, um, there are specific exercises on, um, Dr. Berselli who founded shaking therapy on his website to follow along with. Um, that's a good one. Shaking and and dancing and moving meditation. There's a lot of free meditations online on YouTube and 
I think I maybe guide, I have a meditation in the book as well. The flower essences are, I mean, harder to come by, but still, if you have a local. Yeah. Local vitamin shop or food, like just natural food kind of place. And a lot of smaller practitioners make them too. So that's a place to start as well. I mean, there's, I could go on and on. (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, this is good stuff. I mean, the book, I I look at the book um, as a resource guide. Yeah. Kind of where do I start when I'm looking at my trauma? Because you do offer a a lot of tools in the book. So I was was actually very surprised at how many tools there were in the book about the different modalities, the different things that you can do, um, because it's not a one-size-fits-all thing. What works for me is not going to work for the next person. And I think that that was just really good. Any last words that you want to say about the book and what people can expect? Yeah. I want to say one more thing too, about like the timeline and what works and what doesn't work. Sometimes if we approach a therapy like too soon, it's not going to be the right one, but that doesn't mean that it's not worth revisiting later or with a different practitioner or something like that. So that's just one thing I want to Yeah, you definitely have to be ready. Or as I like to say, when you are ready to go into the canyon Mm -hmm. um, and do your work, there will be a time for that Um, because you're going to be down there for a long time. (laughs) And then AC, then you get to climb out the other side and, you know, it's not like, oh, heal, check, we're done. No, I think healing is a, you know, a lifelong process and, that is what I, the last thing I would love to say is that because of going through this contraction and this hard time and this trauma, if healed and like continuing to heal, it can become your initiation to a brighter and more dynamic connected life. So I just, I want people to know that I want them to know that they're not alone and that it's possible and they're more resilient because of what they've gone through. I love that. Thank you so much for being on this podcast. Um, Everyone definitely check out the book. I'm going to put the link in the show notes. And thank you so much for being here. No, thank you, Aisin. Thank you for all the work that you're doing in this. I feel like you and I could have a sidebar conversation. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Well, thank you all for joining me for another episode of Is My Art On Straight. Make sure you have a great day filled with good vibes and great energy. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of Is My Aura On Straight. This podcast was edited by Adam Ross. If you loved this episode, please make sure you subscribe and leave a comment. We'd love to hear from you. Also, make sure you're following me on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Until next time, bye-bye.